So those are the three main things, forecasting, web scraping, and then automating tasks that we have been used by them for. Right now it has been seen by 100,000 people and generally like almost 700 likes and reposts like 100 and so on. Because a lot of people are really interested in all of these new tools, right? How to use all of these new AI tools to augment your intelligence. So like not replace it, but just to augment it and to be basically do better analysis, better things with your time. Hello and welcome to Tech for Finance, where we help finance professionals leverage technology to level up their lives. I'm your host, Adam Shilton, and in this episode, we're chatting with Christian Martinez, finance automation manager at the Kraft Heinz Company, conference speaker on AI in finance, and fi founder of the Financial Fox, a project to democratize machine learning and data analytics. Christian started his life in Mexico, but has traveled the world holding jobs in places like Switzerland, Australia, and the Netherlands. Christian founded the Financial Fox in 2017, before then starting at Kraft Heinz as finance supply chain and FP&A analyst in 2018. And since then, he's held positions as management accountant, senior financial controller, and now finance automation manager. Christian was also named one of the 30 under 30 in the accounting and finance industry in Australia in 2021 and won the EMEA Data Democratizer Award in 2022. Christian's also a Manhattan finisher and has traveled to over 65 countries. Before we start, if you like what you hear today, please make sure to subscribe to Tech Finance on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Um, so thanks for joining me today, Christian. It's great to have you on the show. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Adam. No worries at all. So uh, we'll, we'll get straight in because I, I know that you don't have a huge amount of time this morning, Christian, but it would be good you to take us through what it means to be a finance automation manager. I'm sure there's lots of people that are quite envious of um, and potentially a job that's in, in high demand right now. So do you want to give us a, a, a bit about what you do at the moment? Yeah, definitely. So I focus in like finance automation, especially in the supply chain finance, um, like industry and function. So basically like manufacturing, logistics and procurement, and then we do the finance part of it, right? So in our company, um, we have two international zones. So one is the U.S. and Canada, and the other one is the rest of the world. So I mean that second one, the rest of the world, which means basically that my scope is around 22 countries, uh, more than 40 factories, more than 30 warehouses, and like different teams around the world. And the idea is to help them and the final teams around the world with analytics and automation. So what exactly do do that? Well, we use a series of different tools like Altrix, Tablon, Snowflake, and more recently, ChatGPT, to try to automate different processes across the, the world and basically to give time back to the business to do more and better um, data analysis. Perfect. So you mentioned ChatGPT there. We'll, we'll come back to that in, in a second. Um, <laughs> I think as some more of these tools evolve with the likes of, you know, Bard, still not great yet, and, and Bing Chat, we might in the future need to refer to it as generative AI, right? But for now, obviously everybody knows it, it, as ChatGPT. Um, so thanks for, for outlining some of the tools there, which you mentioned are analytics tools, right? Um, the, the first question I have on the, on the generative AI side of things with the advent of, of these new AI technologies is 
Previously, you might have some sort of robotic process automation platform to either connect data or automate the clicks that a human would do. How, how are you finding that's different now? Because generative AI isn't sort of a, and if this then carry out this task, it's more of a, you know, I'm, I'm seeing it at the moment more aligned with soft skills rather than automating hard stuff. So I don't know what your perspective is. Yeah, and it's actually very uh, similar to what you said. So like right now for the automation, automation part, we're still using Altrix, for example, um, that basically carry all of the tasks and it's like, okay, we push a button or sometimes like automatically every day, every month or something, and then all of the script occurs and then different functions uh, happen. But then we use mostly right now, like things like ChatGPT, just as you said, like to ask questions about how to improve certain process or to learn about certain areas of the, of the business or of the, um, um, like the world, even the supply chain, let's say, and then to really get more like creative on our solutions in terms of both analytics and automation. So some, um, use cases, like for, for example, is like, sometimes we are still trying to use, let's say Python to do different things apart from all of the other tools that I, that I was mentioning. So then now with ChatGPT is very, very easy to like, you just go and then you describe what you want to do and then it generates the Python code for you. So then you try to tweak it maybe a little bit, uh, but it's basically there, right? Or, and we already have, let's say some Python codes and then we have some, um, some mistakes or some error or something. You can also put it in ChatGPT and it tells you where exactly the mistake and how to fix it. So we are trying to combine these other technologies, but for sure, we're not using JDPT uh, job for the automation part um, as much. Yeah. But there has been recent updates to say that OpenAI are moving towards plugins for ChatGPT, right? So this, this has made the ecosystem even bigger, right? So instead of now speaking to a chat window or using the API as a developer would, you've now got more of a Zapier type set up whereby you can say, right, well, chat GPT interact with this app and interact with this app. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what way that goes. Um, and, and it's fab. So going back to the point there that you mentioned about Python's, so obviously you work in, in a larger, a very large organization. Um, and I'm always keen to, to tease out some of the things that may be more usable for, for smaller businesses. Right? Um, but before I ask you that, I guess the first question is. There is always a topic of conversation in finance teams about upskilling, you know, what, what skills do we need to focus on, whether it's hard or soft. So of course there's endless posts on LinkedIn about improving your Excel skills. There's endless posts about you know, all sorts of other finance specific um, skills that people might upskill, but more recently I have heard talk of finance teams wanting to get more up to speed with development languages and taking more control over, over the code piece. Now, obviously, traditionally to learn Python, you'd need to be a developer and, and maybe have your 10,000 hours worth of experience in doing that. And I know, I know you've got that because obviously you, you've done quite a lot of work with Python, but are we, are we seeing now that with sort of a basic nursing in Python, you can use tools like ChatGPT to basically correct from scratch, or do you still think there's a really big gap between businesses being able to do that if they've got no development knowledge? Yeah, no, to, to be fair, um, ever since I started learning uh, Python, like maybe like four or five years ago, um, I realized that learning Python is very easy because it's very close to, to the human language, to, to English. 
So then it's way easier than learning other things like C++ or Java. And um, like whenever I started like that, um, project that was that you were mentioning like the financial gaps, the whole, um, idea was to democratize the access to using Python for finance professionals. And we taught them like a very simple, um, like workshops and like step-by-step. Step. And the thing is like different professionals that like do the workshops, they really started to use uh, Python within weeks. So you don't really need like those like 10,000 hours for that specific programming language. Now, having said that, um, maybe you needed like a couple of weeks, so maybe two weeks doing a couple of projects, and then you could use Python at least for basic stuff and even like for more, um, like analytics stuff. Now with ChatGPT, that becomes ours because now you can really like even, um, use like ChatGPT to learn Python and also to do the whole code in Python for you. As I was saying before, if you have mistakes to tell you where the mistake is and even to explain the code, like after it does it for you, uh, you say like, okay, what exactly is it doing this doing? And then it explains for you. So then now those like couple of weeks that it will take you to learn Python to just in finance. Now it could be done in one day. Um, so it has reduced a lot, but yeah, like I, I did want to, to mention that at least like the way we just started on the financial facts, you needed, you didn't need the 10,000 hours. You needed just a couple of weeks to learn. Yeah. And I, I haven't gone into Python with generative AI yet. I will do because it's an interest. The most I've got so far is generating VBA, VBA code and also app scripts, which I think is a JavaScript for Google Sheets and, and that sort of stuff. Um, so I basically asked ChatGPT, generate me the app script to connect ChatGPT to Google Sheets and, and it did it. But then as you say, I say, as you say, I asked it to explain what each element of the code was and it rewrote it with little notes before each of the sections and it's really good for that so uh, <laughs> but it's all about asking those questions isn't it because there's there's a difference between saying generate generate me the code for this and then pretend i'm an idiot generate the code for this and tell me you know how it's all broken down yeah so, so finance teams maybe aren't as up to speed with what you can do with a language like Python, what, what some of the use cases that you're seeing for being able to, to program with, with that sort of language? Mm -hmm. One of the main use cases that uh, we've used it is for machine learning algorithms. So basically for forecast things, um, in the business. So it can be like sales, it can be like labor spend, it can be, um, basically like how much inventory do we need and so on. The second part is for web scraping. So basically to go on the web and then just retrieve data, let's say prices in like Tesco supermarkets or Alberhain supermarkets here in the Netherlands, and then to understand what the price of each um, item, for example, um, and then create like a sales model to generate like which is the best price, like to the optimize the, the pricing strategy, for example. Now the third one, um, that is especially for people that still are using a lot of Excel and PowerPoint is basically to automate different tasks of like, okay, uh, before some of like people in APNA, they go to Excel, they create a model, there's an Excel table in there, and then they have to copy and paste that in PowerPoint. And maybe they did that like 50 different times um, every day. So with Python, you could automate that script and then like, okay, whenever something happens, then basically it will do that copy paste of that table uh, automatically for you. 
So those are the three main things. Um, so like forecasting, web scraping, and then automating tasks that we have been used by them for. But it is reliant on you having access to data in the first place, right? Because yeah, correct. I'm going to need to connect it to a data source for that plan. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to say like for these three specific examples, the forecasting part, for sure, you, you do need the, the data, the data part, uh, for the web scraping, then it basically like grabs the data from all of them, like, um, websites. And the third one on the automated tasks, you don't really need data, but you do need like, um, a task to, to be done. Yeah. But for the, for the version of, of machine learning, for sure, you do need uh, data and that's one of the things that takes the most amount of time and the most important parts um, to generate, let's say, a good forecast. Fine. And, and what I'll do in the show notes of the podcast is I'll include some links, you know, with some use cases and a more detailed breakdown for all of these, because some of the listeners won't completely understand what web scraping is, for example. So I'll, I'll provide the links and reference material for that in the interest of time to save you having to explain in more detail, because I appreciate we don't have all the time in the world here, which is, which is great. So. On the machine learning side of things, and, and the previous guest I had was, was Glenn Hopper. I don't know whether you're familiar with the name. He's doing quite a lot of work in, in the AI space, especially in, in finance. Um, and he sort of broke down the building blocks of starting to be able to use AI. So, so first is people and process, you know, so it's pointless in trying to build an understanding if your data's rubbish. Likewise, it's pointless trying to automate a process. It's, it's a bad process. And he gave some examples some data tools, but coming back to that machine learning piece that you mentioned earlier, are there any applications that you're using for machine learning, um, that you plug in your Python script into? When you mean applications, you mean like, let's say like a web application that yeah, you the code algorithm or whatever it is. Okay. Yep. It's more like. Let's say you, you can generate the algorithm by using Python and like writing the, the code there. Okay. But then you do need a tool to run that algorithm. So one of the easiest ones to start with, um, is from Google and it's called Google Colab. That it's basically like a Google Sheets, but for, um, coding. So then you go in there and then you type your, your Python script and then it run it for you. And then either it generates new data, for example, or you automate like certain um, tasks, for example, or, or something. So that's one of the web apps that, um, like it's used in conjunction with Python. Um, the other one it's, let's say in, it, there's another one called Jupyter Notebooks that it's basically the same thing. So just like, it's like a notebook, wherever you plug new code and then it will like run it uh, for you. Okay. Google Colab. And Jupyter node groups. Node groups. Yeah. Node groups. Okay. So I'll put those in the show notes as well. So, so thanks for that. And, and in your view, one of the positive things about AI is it's now becoming easier to develop, easier to use tools. So from your perspective, if a finance is looking at a problem and thinking, right, do we either bring in somebody with experience of Python or learn Python ourselves with the help of ChatGPT using, you know, in, in the example of machine learning, stuff like Google Colab and, and the other one that you mentioned, or 
do we just buy an off the shelf low code tool because mm. there's there's tons out there now you know so what what is your mentality when it comes to picking your battles essentially what what is that decision criteria yep that's a very good question and especially like when you mentioned that you're trying to like initially to do a lot of advice it's also like for for startups right and like for smaller companies i do think um that for startup companies it's better to go with the off-the-shelf tool that it's already built and then as you said like normally the pricing um is not like that that much uh there are like some that okay you can pay like either 10 um, euros or 10 pounds per, per month or per a couple of months or something like that and it's already built for you and um, there's this use case that I was thinking actually, even like in, in a large enterprise of like how to input all of the documents that you have, um, on the business, all of the business knowledge, like, okay, we have like these factories, we have like these processes, we have these people and so on. And to just chat the tip for people to basically be onboarded into the business that they can use like, um, let's say like, um, a similar in a similar fashion to ask questions and generate the answers. So I was thinking of how to do it. And then I discovered over the weekend, and uh, there's this tool called Cody that is basically done that. So it's, you just upload either like PowerPoints or like spreadsheets or like Word documents or something about your business. And then it generates like uh, the same, um, UI, the, the same user interface of ChatGPT, but then now all of your information is there. And then obviously, because you want your information to be private and everything, it, you have to pay for, for this all. But yeah. again, it's like less than 100 uh, per month. And then if someone would go to develop this tool, for sure, it wouldn't take like 100 um, like euros in terms of like time of like a developer or even any like financialist um, to try to get it done, right? So then okay. I do think that having these other shelf apps like already built by by um, another company it's really really useful okay now that that makes sense and what did you say it was called Cody c-o-d-i-e c-o-d-y c-o-d-y okay fine yeah. and the show notes as well there's, <laughs> yeah. there's like 10 every day isn't there um, yeah actually doesn't that though like yesterday I was literally compiling these um like this list of new AI tools for finance and FBA. Uh, one of these well, was coded, but then I have like a bunch of, of others. And then um, I finished the list because again, like it was like for my self-interest, but then I was like, okay, I'll put it into to LinkedIn. And then I just put it yesterday. And I think right now it's just been seen by 100,000 people and generally like almost 700 uh, like likes and repos, like 100 and so on. Just a lot of people are like really interested in all of these like new, new tools, right? Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll put the link to that in the show notes as well. Cause I did, <laughs> I did see that yesterday. So, so people can pick up on that. Um, another resource that's pretty good, um, is a newsletter called superhuman by, I forget his second name, but it's called Zane, but I'll put him in the, the show notes as well, but there's a ton now because AI is, is so prolific. And I think if we're not careful, we're going to get overwhelmed pretty quickly. Right. So, so I think yeah. it's great to see the lists now. And, and I did this again over the weekend is I was looking through, you know, finance AI tools and, and all of that sort of stuff. <clears throat> the other thing to be aware of as well is with the advent of, you know, really fast development of these concepts and these apps, 
a lot of them are still in pre-release stage. Yep. So I was going through and, and my use case, as I mentioned to you before we started, is speeding up the production of the podcast because I just want to spend time speaking to, to intelligent people. I don't want to spend time writing up show notes and writing up transcripts. I don't want to do that. So um, I went on this site, which had a load of AI tools. I put that in the show notes as well. I think it's called, there's an AI for that. Again, there's so many. Um, and I was clicking through all of them in the use cases and they all say, sign up to waitlist, sign up to waitlist, sign up to waitlist. And what they're doing there is they're essentially gauging marketplace interest. Yeah. And I think the general rule that people are saying is that if you develop a new idea and you get, you know, a 30% conversion rate of people that visit the landing page, for example, it's an idea that should be built. Yeah. But likewise, I think we're going to see a lot of these tools that people are signing up for, but they don't get the level of interest that they wanted and they just don't get developed full stop. Yeah, so when people are looking through these tools, it's great to see the art and the possible in the future, but just be wary that don't spend a huge amount of time rebuilding your business around these tools, especially if a lot of them are still in pre-release stage, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but it's great. I, I love seeing all of this stuff, but I'd say it's just going to be a challenge in, in keeping up. And, and, and I always go back to, to principles whenever I write about this is, you know, don't lose track of the fundamentals. AI isn't going to slow down. Yeah. It's going to become easier to use. Yeah? And I personally believe the concept of prompt engineering in the future is going to disappear because AIs are going to get better at learning, you know, to infer what we mean. So I don't mm. think people need to get bent out of shape on learning how to ask machines questions, even though I think in the short term, there's, there's probably an argument for that. Uh, but yeah, fo focus on fundamentals and then use AI strategically as opposed to thinking, oh my God, we've got to completely reinvent our business, right? I, I don't know whether you agree or whether that aligns with your thinking. No, no, definitely. Like it does uh, resonate a lot because as you said, like there's a lot of different tools. So you have to like share big wishments that they align to like your, um, basically your business fundamentals. So as you said, like some of them, they will throw the line and it's like plug and play, but then some others you would need to fundamentally change the way you do your business. And maybe those ones are not the best uh, decision for someone to go into at first. Yeah. So in your view, again, coming back to the small business example, I mean, you've got years of experience working for a large enterprise under your belt. Um, you mentioned some Python examples there of the different applications of, of Python, but taking a, a step back from that, you know, would you recommend a small business trying to use AI to better achieve their objectives? Is it as simple as just assessing some of the low code tools out there, you know, picking the challenge, you know, oh, we, we need, you know, um, a better forecast. Right. Well, what AI enabled tool is, is best for that. Oh, we want to spend less time in, in spreadsheets, right? Well, have a look at whatever business intelligence platform is, is best for that application. Is, is that what you'd suggest as a starting point or do you have a different theory? No, definitely like for startups specifically, it's way better to just like browse, like which, um, tools are available already out there. And then to try to see like which ones, um, like they can use, right? And not just in finance, but even like for startups, they normally try to focus more of like, okay, what's our product like? Um, okay, where we are trying to achieve, where would be our users and so on and so on, and how to capture those users, for example. And I just say like to automate tasks, again, not just in finance, but like in, in anything, like as you were mentioning, like, um, if you do like a podcast, for example, how to automate a certain 
uh, tasks so that you can spend more time uh, talking to people. Um, there are also a lot of like video creators that is the same thing. Like maybe some of the videos, like they really spend time on that, but then to create them, um, to make them like shorter and then be able to publish them like in YouTube shorts or TikTok or something. Now there are tools that they do that, um, like automatically for you, or maybe like some part of the editing. So in every industry, I do think that there are a lot of use cases. And then if you start like browsing, like as a startup founder, or like as a person that works in a startup on all of these tools, then it will be really, um, useful on how to like save time and do more things with, um, uh, with your time basically. Okay. Thanks for that. So finance profession specifically there has always been talk about automation you know re replacing people and and it's not just in finance it's over everything and i've been listening to some interesting topics recently about um artificial general intelligence which is which is meant to be like getting to that singularity moment where machines become more intelligent than people you know and and it's it's humans that are I wouldn't say controlled, but basically the intelligence is the machines, not the people. Some people are predicting different horizons of that. We've got some people saying two years. We've got some people saying 20 years. Um, and, uh, I'm trying not to think about the negative consequences you know, because actually I'm personally quite excited by this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist and I think, you know, more free time to do stuff like, you know, play golf, spend time with kids, all of that sort of stuff. I'm, you know, I'm all for that, but. So the people that are looking at their careers and thinking, well, there's still a quite, quite a lot of ad admin that I do in part of my, uh, as part of my role, or, um, I'm not in an FPNA role and, and I'm not in a leadership position, you know, does that mean that my job's at risk of, of automation? How would you advise that people think about that? What, are there any skills that people can be focusing on that you think are going to stand the test of times uh, are likely to improve their career prospects. I mean, how, how are you thinking about ways that finance can protect their careers as AI and these tools become more advanced? Yeah, no, that's a pretty good uh, question. And I actually asked myself that question whenever I started, like, um, let's say getting into finance, like even like the education part. And then I was like, okay, which type of skills do I need in order to like, um, again, with all of the admin of like new technologies and again, that it was. That was like 10 years ago. Um, but I discovered that there were like two, uh, set of skills that I needed one on the soft skills part and the second one in the, uh, technical skills part, and I still think they're very relevant. So the first one in the technical skills part is programming. And now it's not even like really just like how to get programming, but even like how to use all of these new AI tools to augment your intelligence. So like not replace it, but just to augment it and to be basically like do better analysis, better things with your time. And the second one, uh, it was storytelling and stakeholder management. So I think on the part of like soft skills, that interaction that you have with other people across your business, especially in FPNA is very important. And also that ability like in finance and, and uh, FPNA as well on telling stories and basically communicating uh, concisely and simple ideas, uh, it's really useful. So those two set of skills, I think are the ones that are the most uh, important to, to have. Yeah. And, and 
I'll link to it in the show notes as well, but I, I saw recently, was it yesterday? You, you released, I think on Medium, uh, how to drive business success and build strong relationships with different stakeholders in FPNA, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. What, what was, the, I'm guessing it comes back to what you've just said there. You know, you're, you're trying to provide advice with financial Fox on, you know, more of the developer side of things, but I guess with this sort of content, you're, you're trying to boost awareness of, of those soft skills, right? Yeah, definitely. Like I also like a very huge advocate for like soft skills and like the importance they have for like, uh, people in their, in their careers. Um, and especially if you develop, develop them early, then you will be able to really grow into, into your career. Yeah. Because if, if we take, you know, my kid's generation, again, we, we talked before, for the podcast, you know, I've got two and a half year old and, and a nine month old, um, they're their career prospects are going to be drastically different, right? You know, that they're, they're not going to need to learn how to write Excel formulas. They're not going to need to really, I don't think they're going to need how to, to learn to code, you know? So it's very much about how do we improve that ability to ask, I guess, better questions, um, you know, and, and how do we forget forget about the, the more of the hard stuff i'm not saying that a hard stuff is is going to go away completely right but when we look about the way that work is likely to shift it's going to be the people that are the creative thinkers you know the the the, the people that are able to think in more abstract ways that can have the real advantage especially as you say if they're augmenting their work with mm-hmm. the use of use of ai right and that there's a whole separate conversation about you know the way that the current education system is, you know, potentially flawed and, and we're moving towards a world where everybody's got tailored education, you know, that's specific to their unique skills and all of this sort of stuff. But as I say, it's, it's a conversation for another time. So, you know, all, all good. So no, just to, to paraphrase you then essentially, you know, you, you still believe that there is in the short term, a, a case for developing hard skills, you know, coding, how to, how to leverage AI tools. But obviously in doing that, we've got to get a balanced view that says, right, well, it's not, it's not just about the hard stuff. It's about, you know, how do we present better? How do we communicate those concepts, you know, and, and how do we, how do we uh, improve our, our work there? Okay, cool. So yeah, definitely. And just add to that as well. Um, I remember like, um, when I was a kid, so like my parents, like especially my mom, uh, she's a very huge advocate about these like entrepreneurial mindset. And then when I was like, you know, like um, 20 years ago, like 25 years ago, being an entrepreneur was very different to being an entrepreneur right now. Right. So it was not about the technology, like all okay, the, like social media, the other exist, um, like smartphones, they didn't exist anything, but it was like, they always told me about like that entrepreneurial thinking as in the ability of solving problems yeah. and really to start doing, like more with less. And then I grew up with that. And then even in my like different schools that at first, like they, um, would be like for kindergarten and for primary school and so on. And all of those schools, there were also very huge advocates for that, for that entrepreneurial thinking. Um, and I didn't really understood the value of it until I went to Australia and then I was like, oh, okay, now I'm trying to solve all of these different problems. I like at work and things like that. And all of the tools that I received from my parents and from uh, those goals, they were really uh, helpful. And then that's uh, one of the key points that made me become like myself entrepreneur with the, with the financial books in Australia. 
hundred percent. And and it's good that you you had kind of that moment where everything came together. I, I love hearing stories like that. It's, it's, and it's obviously working well for you, right? You know, so uh, all, all good. And I suppose that the last point on that, and coming back to the whole point around data democracy that we've been talking about, you know, once all of these tools are available to everyone, you know, we're then moving into a territory where it is quality of thought and ideas that's the game changer, not whether you can build something or not. So imagine a world yeah. where anybody can develop anything. You know, the, the, the people that are going to do well, are the people with the best ideas, not the ones that can code. Yep, you, definitely. Um, have you heard of the concept of disposable apps? Uh, no, actually no. So, so, um, obviously in, in the, the physical world, there's the concept of disposable things, you know, whether it's a biodegradable paper cup or, you know, things that serve a single purpose and then are disposed of. With the ability to now create apps and tools so quickly now, are people forecasting if they're not doing it already, that people are going to be able to focus on a challenge, you know, and it could be you know, something trending. It could be something happening in an industry and saying, right, well, I've got a couple of days to sort that problem. You know, let's build an app. People only have to use it once and then mm. they get rid of it. And the only example that I can think of really off the top of my head right now is, um, HubSpot. You know, sometimes when people implement HubSpot, they'll accidentally import duplicate contacts like I did, you know, and, and there is an app that you can get called, uh, Dedupli, which basically get rid of all your duplicates. Now there's a case to say that you only ever really need to use that once, right? Mm. If you're working with a lot of data, then you might pay for the subscription to make sure that your database is always cleansed. But that is a use case that says, right, well, we've got an app to that, you know, use it and get rid of it. So, I think we're going to start seeing a, a lot more of that pretty soon. Yeah, no, definitely. That's a very uh, interesting uh, thing as well, because I would say like, even for like, in what I do, like in, in finance, but in the automation part, we try to build, develop these tools for people in, in our business, like as I was saying, with using like Alteryx and so on. And normally like we always focus on like, okay, how can the tool be flexible enough that it can be used as much time as possible, but yep. it's a very interesting concept. What you, what you said as well, like, okay, maybe there are some use cases that it only need to be used once, but then it's better just to develop something quickly. And then, uh, they just use it once as you said with the duplicates. Yeah, there we go. So food for thought, eh? Food for <laughs> thought. It's interesting to see where things are going to come. So the last question, cause I know we've come up to time and you need to get away is. I'm always keen to know what people use personally as part of their, their tech stack, if, if you like, so have you got a favorite in like your personal, it could be professional as well, but in your personal life that, that you, you couldn't live without that you absolutely love. Oh, well, different tech stack itself. Like it's professional, but the one that I love the most is Tableau. Tableau. So Tableau is like a data visualization tool that it's very similar to Power BI just like different uh, comparators, but then I have used it a lot in terms of like, as I was saying, like that part of the data storytelling and how to tell a story with numbers, uh, especially to like leadership and people around across the, the company. And I do think that that's one of the, um, the best tools on my, on my tech stack right now. Very good. And, and you don't like have a favorite phone app or anything that you use in your personal life or anything like that? In my personal life, I was just in quite a lot one month ago, this app called Blinklist. Oh yeah. Yeah. Blinklist. That's a good one. 
And then it, it's basically like, yeah, for, for people that are saying also like it's an app that gives you book summaries yeah. and then it's kind of like read it for you or you know, they tell them um, in a very simple and concise way. And I thought it was really great. I was using it for a couple of months, especially to like know certain books. And then like, if I really like them, then I bought the book. But then if not, at least I get a gist of it. Yeah. Now I just discovered that ChatGPT can do exactly the same and it can even give you chapter summaries. So one of my favorite books is the Lean Startup. And then, oh, um, and then apart from just saying to ChatGPT, like, give me a book summary for the Lean Startup, you can say, give me a book summary for chapter one and it gives you for chapter two and so on and so on. So in a way it's even better than Lean with. And obviously it's, it's afraid. So I have, um, but I have to say like until a couple of months ago, Langley's were one of my favorite ones. I, I didn't know it could do that, you know, cause I, I did ask chat GPT to do some book summaries for me and, and it came back and this was, I think GPT three when it first came out and it came back saying something like, um, I, I can't summarize copyrighted material or something like that. I can't remember the warning, but. Oh, okay. I, I didn't try the first. It's, I think I have tried it from last week onwards and it summarized them very well. Okay. Um, no, that's, that's interesting to know, but again, that, that there's then a question. Yeah. And, and a, definitely a conversation for, for another day, right? But if, if you're producing copyrighted content and then a chatbot can just summarize it so people don't have to read it at all, I don't, I don't know whether there's. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I know what I mean. But, but no, it's, it's a great hack. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> especially, especially books that have stood the test of time, like the lean startup, you know, there's probably a lot of information in the public domain on it. Right. And, so. and I mean, yeah, yeah. And then to be fair, for example, when I was using uh, Blinglist, it was more of like, okay, get the summary, but then if I really like it, then to, to buy the book, right? Because it's way, it's so much better to read the actual book than get the summary. But then there are also so many books that maybe for you personally, they are not that good. So then with this ability, you can at least save your time and then read the summary and say like, okay, it's not for me. It will be for a lot of other people. Uh, but then I don't need to, to buy the book because it, it's not for me. Right. But then with the others, then you still, you are still encouraged to, to buy the book. So then it really depends on how, how they see it, I guess, or yeah. even as a last just case that I realized as well. Um, I'm trying to put a little, um, newsletter about it, but basically ChatGPT can also create fiction stories for yeah. you. So it depends on the prompts that you, that you put, but then, uh, you can put like your favorite TV show and then you put like, oh, okay, I want a book similar to the big bang theory, but about finance analysts. And then it creates, and it, again, you can put like, write me the first chapter, the second chapter and so on. And then, okay, now I want something to happen with an meteorite, with an asteroid coming to earth and then destroying everything and then it, it works. So it's a really like, like more like funny use case, but then it can also be used as an help for writers, like actual writers to, yeah. okay, get more ideas or like to test different uh, things and then so on. So yeah. yeah, no, I think the, the possibilities are definitely endless with these oh, it's, technologies. It's never ending. It's never ending. Very good. No, I, I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Excellent. So where, where can people find out more about you, Christian? Where do you want people to? Yeah, no, definitely. So the main one is just uh, LinkedIn. So if you don't put my um, URL for that, that would be great. 
That's yeah. the, the main thing that I'm using to communicate my thoughts. And the second one is medium. So I do hope that uh, like medium is like a place, like a different professional blogs type of thing. And then I have been trying to, to write a lot now, like, especially about like chat GPT, but I always write about finance and FDNA. And as you were saying about like these soft skills, like storytelling or like stakeholder management. So those are the two main, main things. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. So I'll put all of those as links in the show notes, but Christian really appreciate you coming on. It's, it's been an excellent conversation and maybe we can have another catch up in, in six months to see how all of this has evolved. So uh, no, re really good. Thanks again for your time. Definitely. Great. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Bye.